This is Very Bold Radio and Podcast with your host, Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com. And now here's your host, Steve Teal. Welcome to Very Bold Radio and Podcast. I'm Steve Teal, your host. And I am really excited today. I'm doing an interview with Matt Merton right now. Let me welcome Matt Merton to the show, and then I want to tell you about this guy. And we're going to have a great conversation about baseball, about Jesus, about family, about whatever God wants to do. But let's say hi to Matt Merton. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Man, thanks for being here. I want to tell our audience, and I want to give a quick shout-out to your cousin, uh, Kent Stewart, for helping to make this happen. He's uh, one of my best friends here in San Antonio. And this started on Facebook because people started tagging me, my pastor actually, Jason Powers, tagged me and said, you know, it's a thing going around, who are your top five favorite baseball players of all time? So I said some of mine, which dates me very quickly, Tony Perez and Tug McGraw were two of my favorites growing up always, and a lot of players on the Big Red Machine. And then I tagged Kent, and so Kent, I think he's uh, – What's he, uh, a Marlins guy? or uh, That's the, right. Yeah, yeah so, he grew up in South Florida. That's yeah, right. yeah, so he named uh, like five guys right for the Marlins. I'm like, okay. I said, don't you have a cousin like who was a big league player? What, what's the deal here? And he said, well, you know, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to sound self-serving. And so then he tagged you, and then I went and looked. And he had told me some about you, but then I went and looked, and, uh, and he told me immediately, yeah, this, this guy broke Ichiro's record in Japan. So I want to go through some of the bio stuff, and you have to sit by and just let me talk about it. We do want to let uh, Chicago Cub fans know uh, that you're on the show. And my son-in-law, who's a Cubs fan, helped me with some of the graphics work today. I uh, had a lot of fun with that. As soon as I told him Matt Merton, he knew exactly. Matt Merton, yeah. So here's the deal. You Cubs fans that uh, are really Cub fans, you would know about Matt Merton, and he is back in the front office with the Cubs. I want to get to that later. But let me tell you, I want to highlight some of his baseball career. And for the Cubs, uh looks like to me best season, 2006, 22 doubles, 13 home runs, 62 RBIs, if I got all this right, 297 batting average, ranking second on the team. That's incredible. And he still holds a Major League Baseball record that is shared with others. Do you know what record I'm talking about, Matt? Yeah, that's a pretty easy one for me. There's not too many records I hold. So <laughs> anyway, yeah, it was a four, four doubles on an afternoon game in Chicago against the Arizona Diamondbacks, as I recall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Four doubles in one game. That's that's amazing. It was one of those that one that you might have been able to stretch into a triple, but you're like, no, I'm gonna hit that double, hit those four doubles. No, it's probably more a single <laughs> that I tried to stretch into a double. But in all seriousness, uh, there was a, I knew it was a day game because one of the particular balls that I hit, I think, got lost in the sun a little bit. So I might have had a little help, but uh, four doubles nonetheless. <laughs> Whatever it takes, right? That's it. I love it. All right, so a little bit more because I want to I wanna get to something huge here. He went to the Oakland A's in 2008 and the Rockies 2009. Uh, if Mark, I'm not, not sure if he's put up the video yet, if it's rolling. Um, yes, you're pointing at a finger. Yeah. Okay. The video. Okay. You're good. He's got a mask on, so I can't read his lips today. But uh, uh, one of the video highlights is of you hitting a home run uh, for the Rockies off of Hall of Famer Randy Johnson, which is, I mean, that's a feat in and of itself. 
Then in 2010, Matt Merton went to Japan to play for the Hanshin Tigers. Did I say that kind of close to right? No, you nailed it. Okay, I've been practicing. I'm not going to lie. The Hanshin Tigers. I've got in studio, Matt doesn't see this right now, but I've got a Chicago Cubs hat and I've got a Tigers Hanshin hat. Not, I think it's a fan hat. It doesn't look like you'd wear it out on the diamond, but I love it. And that was in uh, the NPB in Japan, Japan Professional Baseball League, where he, in his rookie season, will you all listen to this, please? He broke Ichiro's single-season hit record that Ichiro set in, in uh, 1994, 210 hits. And remember, they play, what do they play in Japan? How many games? I know it's not 162. Like 144. 144. Uh, so the single season record was 210 Ichiro. And Matt Merton, in his what is considered your rookie season over there, 214 hits, a record. Uh, unbelievable. 17 home runs, 91 RBIs, 349 batting average. He played six seasons in Japan from 2010 to 2015, had over 1,000 base, base hits, career batting average in Japan of uh, 310. And if that wasn't impressive enough, we'll get to this, too. He also spoke at a Franklin Graham rally in Japan, which is really cool, too. And just to mention the 16th foreign player to achieve 1,000 career hits in the NPB. All right, I want to start there, even though Cub fans may want to talk Cubs or whatever. I want to start there because what I've heard, and I don't even remember if I saw the you know the movie with Tom Selleck many years ago, Mr. Baseball, about being in Japan, I believe. Like I said, it's been so long. But one thing I remember from reading a Sports Illustrated article growing up is that going to Japan for many American baseball players is a big culture shock. And so I am not expecting anyone to go over there and have a you know record season. Can you walk us through that? How did you even get to that state of mind where you could do something that incredible? Well, you know what? Uh, I have to start first and foremost with the idea that uh, anything talent-wise or anything in terms of any accomplishments is just a byproduct of what Christ has allowed me to do uh, in and through the, his power. And... Um, so the, what does that look like? Does that mean that every single time I go out and I perform or whatever, that it's always going to go my way? No. Yeah. But it's a, it's a, rec- it's a recognition that like, it starts there. And so that's a, that, I can't start talking about this without at least first mentioning that. Um, there was a lot that went into preparation that. and going over to Japan. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'll tell you, man, I, I was kind of really hesitant to do it at first. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I was at a place in my career in the United States where I was out of options for the first time. And I had been through some rough passes over the last year and a half or two years, kind of getting stuck in terms of some roster crunches. Yeah. And I thought in some way that it was going to be my opportunity to break loose in, in, in the United States. Uh, but my wife knew far before I did that we were kind of called, and this was something that I needed Whoa. to seriously consider. And uh, so she was on board first. Uh, we were about to have a baby, and uh, she was still willing to go and have our, our daughter over there. And so I say all of that because there was so much that went in terms of the groundwork, preparing the heart and the mind to go. And I'm always one that, like, it may take me time to get to a decision, but once I do, I'm all in. And yeah. so I did have some really good advice from a lot of people. One that I'll, I'll never forget was from my uncle, who had done a lot of traveling and uh, internationally with his business. He said, the one thing I would really encourage you to do is, he said, a lot of times we make mistakes as Americans that we go into other countries and we 
and since that we, we try to project our American value or the way that we do things on other people yeah. and we don't have any, we don't, we're not flexible. And he's like, the one thing I would really advise you to do is never forget who you are. You know, never forget where mm. you came from. That's allowed you to be successful, but be very willing to adapt to culture and embrace culture and all those types of things. So, you know, that was my mindset going over there. Yeah. And I'm not sure that it was necessarily easy when I first stepped, uh, you know, foot on Japanese soil. Yeah. People were talking so fast. Man, there's a million symbols everywhere. Um, but I will say that there's this overwhelming peace that the world was created by God, not just the United States, and that I'm here, yeah. I'm with you. And I just walked through that every day. Wow. And I competed. And I competed, man. I really competed. Like, I, I had something to prove. And so to be able to be out on that field and compete at a high level was something that I just kind of put my nose down and went to it every single day. Wow. Okay, let's uh, let's back up a little bit to um, your wife. Explain to me how she understood um, that there was some sort of calling, that it was kind of almost bigger than baseball. I mean, what, what was her seemed to be her mindset? Well, I think she's always been ahead of me there, so I don't know if she's a little <laughs> bit more spiritually connected or what, but uh, she always tends to be a little bit ahead of me. Um, but I, I, think, I think really a lot of times when you have opportunities in life that come up and it kind of feels like in some ways out of the blue, yeah, not necessarily something that you were anticipating, it gives you pause. Right. And I think it made her realize there's some pause here because like, we never thought this was going to happen. We didn't anticipate this. Yeah. And yet we're faced with this possibility. And I think that's where it started for her. And then I think if you look back on kind of my career and how it had gone, um, look, everybody has a story. And yeah. I certainly had deficiencies in my game. And there were things that I needed to get better at. And that's, that's certainly a part of this equation. And yet you also could have written a script where how my first year and a half had gone, we wouldn't have been in that position. So the way everything had happened, yeah. I think it was a combination between how my career had gone the way things had happened in conjunction with this possibility that was so fresh and new, I think it made her really, really take, you know, some inventory. And as she prayed through it, and uh, she just got there way farther than I, or, or a lot sooner than I did. I got gotcha. you. And I, I'm laughing. I don't want to get too long-winded, but I think I think a lot of that. No, no, no. A, 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 <laughs> I think a lot of that becomes a reality that for me, my pride was invested. And I was directly connected to this in some way that she could be more objective in her assessment. Where for me, I was really clinging to portions of it that was certainly pride and portions of it was my, uh, willing, my willingness to like take a step back in terms of how I viewed my career. And yeah. so I think she was able to do that a lot easier and more objectively than I was. Man, that's, uh, that's a pretty incredible wife right there, huh? Yeah, no, that's legit. When she, you know, when she, uh, when she, when she, uh, you know, prayerfully considers things and she's in it and she really was super supportive, you know, like I said, the, having Macy, she was pregnant and knowing she was going to go over there and end up delivering a baby in a foreign country. Yeah. That spoke, that spoke a lot to me and spoke a lot in terms of just the volume of how much she really truly believes in that. Right, right. All right, I've got so many questions and one of them is going to be a weird question. When you talk about deficiencies, when you look uh, looked at your own game, what are you talking about? I mean, I don't think of professional athletes at the highest level in the world thinking in terms of, oh, I've got some deficiencies. I think usually they're so confident that they're not thinking that way at all. Explain that for me. Yeah, and you know what? That's probably a little bit more uh, hindsight, you know, okay. kind of looking back on yourself. Uh, with that being said, though, like any athlete, you're always looking for ways to improve. Yeah. You know, you walk through the day and you say, I'm going to be better tomorrow than today. 
and better today than I was yesterday. So every day we're trying to push that needle forward because if you don't, you fall behind. Yeah. And so for me, one of the things that I was really blessed with was I had very good bat-to-ball skills, which means that I, I could make good contact very consistently, which allowed me to hit for a good average. Yeah. I don't think that was ever in question. Okay. The one thing that I didn't do as well at was that as a corner outfielder, okay, there's a, there is a power production that's expected. Yeah. And so for me, I had a natural power to my body, which allowed me to win home run derbies and you know do stuff like that. But yeah. in-game, my approach... And where I was at that stage in my career, my raw potential hadn't caught up to my in-game usage. So I wasn't hitting Whoa. enough home runs or run producing enough for a guy that was going to play on a corner. And my defense would be considered kind of average, right? Okay. Like, in yeah. fact, I probably got knocked a little bit for my defense, which I think it was probably a little bit better than what people would give me credit for. Right. But so you take a combination and you kind of like have to put like this, you know, my average combined with my run production combined with my defensive profile. And it just made it for like a situation where I kind of got in a tough, in the tough spot. Right. Okay. I got gotcha. you. Wow. That's uh, I think that's an amazing assessment. So then when you go to Japan, did it just seem to, I mean, I know you're working hard all the time. Did it for you just seem to really gel or what was, uh, I mean, you set a record, <laughs> I mean, for the most hits in Japan. I mean that's no joke. Yeah. So what did it what did yeah. it feel like for you? Um, I, I mean, was it any different, or just you got to play every day and you got to do what you were supposed to do? What was the difference for you? I think it's a combination of a lot of things, and I can always like I'm super analytical, so I can break it all down. But I'll make it really simple. Uh, very simply, um, the 2010 season. Yeah was only the second time in my career. Mind you, this would be, if we went back, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. This would be my seventh season in professional baseball. Okay. It was only the second time in my career that I started a season and finished the season on the same team and got a full complement of at-bats. Only the second time in seven seasons. Right. So there is an aspect to actually getting to go out and play every day that allows you the opportunity to kind of figure yourself out and understand how pitchers are attacking you and all the things that we can go into. Yeah. 2006 with Chicago was the only right. other season in my career where I started and finished in the same place. Right. So the fact that I got to go out and play was huge. Yeah. And then I think inevitably with that, I think you grow and some of your abilities start to come out more so. Right. Uh, that, that's really what I would kind of attest. Yeah, you know, that, that makes that, a yeah. lot of sense to me, man. Uh, it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, you look at those two seasons and that consistency, uh, man, it's just it's just amazing. And then throughout your time in Japan, I mean, just absolutely uh, crushed it. Uh, let's talk about um, some of those experiences. Can you – and I know it's been a while, so maybe you're tired of talking about it, but uh, just enlighten us a little bit about – I know you were going out really hard every day, but just a little bit of the cultural challenges that you faced or had to learn or had to, I mean, how did you even build relationships with your teammates? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, You know, there was aspects of it in terms of culturally that seemingly wasn't all that bad. Yeah. Um, And then there were portions of it that even to this day, I'm still trying to learn as I engage the culture. And so, you know, they, there, there were times in, in year one where I'll be honest, it felt like a honeymoon. Yeah. And a lot of the things that we may do as foreigners within a country is kind of like uh, overlooked 
or understood that they don't really under they don't know. Okay. And then what happens in time is that there's there's things that will come up that you while you're there that maybe you weren't privy to that information. You didn't really know yeah. those cultural things, but people expect that you should know them because you've been there now for a couple of years. So like, yeah. how did that go down? Well, we have a translator. Um, he, our team, uh, you know, hires translators to help us. Um, so they're with us all the time at the field. Yeah. They play a huge role in us uh, becoming accustomed. I will say that another thing that really helped me in year one yeah. uh, was Kenji Jojima. Okay. Kenji Jojima had played for the Seattle Mariners um, and had some success in the United States. And he was actually signed back to be with the club in 2010, the same year that I was there. And I can't tell you how much it meant to me to have a guy who had played in the United States, who got it, who understood where I came from. And the way that he would engage me was different, Ah. you know? And so he, he was always checking in on me. Hey man, how are you doing today? And you know, is there anything I can do to help you out? Like this guy was legit caring about me and where I came from and just little things that he would do for me. Like, just a quick story like Nike yeah. uh, when I first got over there I used old hickory bats I used Wilson gloves in the United States about fielding gloves yeah and when I got there one of the things that the Japanese companies like to do is they like to uniform a player from head to toe so they want you to wear their batting gloves their bat the glove the whole nine yards yeah I just wasn't ready for that because I'm like man I'm taking on a new culture a new league and I want to at least kind of keep the tools that I've used similar as possible so I'm gonna use the same bat I want to use this and they were like cool yeah. Nobody would be willing to really let me do that and still wear their cleats or their batting gloves. And Nike's like, hey, listen, we'll let you do it. You know, we'll let you do it, but we're only going to give you so many cleats and so many batting gloves. Okay. Right? Like, there was these bags that we would carry around to put all our stuff in. Oh, I didn't have one. Yeah. And so Kenji took his own money and wow. bought me with, with his, like, his, with his um, Nike money, right? Yeah, like the yeah, money right. The, that they get for whatever. He used that to buy me some stuff to, like, get me going. No way. Like, that's how much Kenji was pouring into me at the beginning there. And so, like, to have guys wow. like that and the translator and all those types of things, I mean, it made a huge difference in how I engaged the culture. Um, and then, like I said, inevitably, and this could be, we could talk about that for a long time, there were hiccups along the way. Um, give me an example of, of a like, hiccup. Give me yeah. an example. Yeah, I think emotional. This is something I was even talking to some guys on the phone with the other day. Yeah, uh, on a Zoom call. Yeah, they're over there playing right now. It's something we're gonna we may look into is like how we can kind of like create some community around some of these uh, some of these things that we deal with over there. Yeah, and uh, one of which is like how we respond emotionally. You know, Americans are very much more willing to be forthcoming with their emotions in general, especially on the field and competition. Yeah, um, whereas the Japanese culture suppresses their emotion. So if you show, which I, there's a lot to be learned, but if you, if you're going to turn around to an umpire and be like, man, I got that as a ball or (laughs) you get mad or frustrated. And there were times where, and not to get into it too deep, but there's times where like, there's a lot of like cultural things that kind of make you feel like you're on an Island figuratively and literally you're on an Island. (laughs) Right. Right. So it all kind of gets pent up inside of you and eventually you, 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 you lose it. Yeah, and so when you do that, you are viewed in a lot of ways. It's just it's, it's not it's not great. It's not a great thing. So it's yeah. like you know, learning how to control your emotion or how the culture sees the way you respond. Like that's something that you kind of like, and you you come into that situation kind of like wired a certain way, and now you're asking somebody in the heat of competition to change their way that they handle. It's tough. Oh yeah. So that's just one example. Yeah. 
that's a good example. Was that was that something for you? I mean, because different people are more emotional uh, than others. I mean, how did you, you know, would you normally show your competitive fire a certain way over here? And did you just learn pretty quickly, like, oh, I can't do that? Or did you come to those moments where, man, I just uh, got to let let it go? Yeah, no, I I would say that I am, I was very competitive. Yeah. And one of the things that allowed me to be successful was the I'm all in. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to – I can't worry about the failure aspect of this. Like, I've got to be present. I've got to be all in. The psychological yeah. aspect of – Every bit of my being in that moment has to be engaged in that moment. Yeah, uh, I likened it like when you're worshiping. Yeah, and you have those moments when you're singing, and you are connecting with the spirit, and like everything else fades away. Yeah, and in that moment, that's the only thing that matters. And like how sweet that feeling is. Yeah, that same type of mentality has to be embraced in the box. And so when you're fully in, and you're like you're all in, your every part of you is in that box. It's really hard to change the way you react in yeah. situations, you know? And so it was something that I, I didn't even, I didn't conquer. And yeah. I certainly didn't conquer. And I kept praying about it. But, man, I got a lot of work to do yet. And it was something that I just had to become aware of and learn to bite my tongue or hold it back in situations where, you know, the, the, the fire within you wanted to say something. You right. Know? And when I say say something, it's not always yelling. Right. It could be even turning around and saying something like, "Hey, man, I got that as a ball." Yeah, but that wasn't acceptable. Yeah, and so it, it was. It was. It was. It was certainly a challenge. It was. Yeah, man, that's crazy. Okay, so uh, how would you respond if you if you did mess up, or if you, I mean, messed up by just expressing emotion that wasn't was supposed to be suppressed? Uh, how did you recover from that? I mean, can you uh, think of an instance? I mean, you know what? Yeah. I, I'm sure there was times where I didn't fully recover from it. Yeah. Um, that's just the reality. You're not going to always please everyone. Right. Um, but what I did do is I was very um, intentional about telling people, look, man, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, I don't mean it in any way. I want you to know my heart. I do need to get better in this. Like, it, it really became a chance for me to utilize it as the brokenness within me and why there, I have a need for a savior. It's because of my brokenness. And wow. so, like, I, I, whether that resonated with people or not, I don't know. But, you know, if it moved the needle for one person, then right. it was worth it. Right. You know? yeah. yeah. Well, talk to me about um, your faith uh, and how what as you look back and look at that opportunity that your wife saw as, man, it's not just about America. This is uh, like a mission opportunity to go. Um, what did that look like for you? I mean, you're you know, you're playing hard. You're doing great. Um, but you're still, it sounds like at a pretty young age, I mean, very mature in your faith that you're thinking about others and thinking about moving that needle. So when you look back, and I know you're still engaged uh, with the Japanese and Japanese culture, but uh, during that time, what did, what did you look like as your impact with Jesus? What did that look like? In regards to like that transitional period? Uh, just uh, just in your regards to being over there. I mean, how did you yeah. find uh, living your faith and trying to impact others? Yeah. So I will say, and, and almost to a fault, and I and I talk about this openly with a lot of people. But when I was in Japan, um, I, my spiritual antennas were were up, yeah. and oh. my spiritual my spiritual um, battle, if you will, was heightened. I was wow. very aware of it. Okay, um, you know, it's a country that less than one percent are believers in Christ. Yeah, and you know, yeah, look, 
every day is a challenge. And I always feel like in the game of baseball and life, um, they parallel one another. Because there's going to be days you go out and you're four for four and you hit four doubles. Yeah. There's going to be days you go out and you're 0 for four and you punch out three times. Right. And there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, And there's yeah. going to be days where you're on the mountaintop again and people are praising you and the next day you're the goat and they're telling you to go home. And so like that, that's just the reality of playing the game of baseball. And yeah. yet that's how life is. Mm. And so you know, being over there as a foreigner, figuratively, as I've mentioned before, and literally on an island, yeah. And then in, 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 in conjunction with some cultural changes, right? And, mm-hmm. and then in the heat of the battle still, where now not only are you playing every day, but you begin to establish yourself as a key cog within a lineup, and a lot of focus ends yeah. up being put on you. And, and so the media has a tendency to lean into you both good and bad as well. Yeah. And so like you, you start to factor all of these things in, and like literally, man, you are put in a position of, I've got nowhere to turn but God. Wow. Like the only way I'm going to get through this is to cling to him. Yeah. And John 15 was a big part of that for me during that time. It was apart from me, you can do nothing. Yeah. You know, and it also mm-hmm. taught in the Sermon on the Mount, we talk about how God calls us to be a light to the world. Yeah. And so like when you really look back on stuff, man, it's like, look, I know this journey isn't necessarily the way that I would have picked it. Right. But this is what you have for me. I've got to be all in. Right. And so that was the perspective, man. It was, I could tell story after story about how hard things were and then how great things were. But over and over again, it's just a reminder of our, our, needy, our need, our depravity and our need for him. And it, wasn't, it couldn't have been any more evident than when I was in a foreign country because I, I felt emptied. I felt weak because I didn't have the comforts that I was accustomed to. Man, so that, I mean, that all made your relationship with Christ that much stronger just because that's all you had other than your wife, obviously, and first couple of kids. Exactly. And I would say that, I kind of joked, I said, you know, like, and and twofold, going over there and and spending six years is like, you know, you age. (laughs) Yeah. Both in terms of your maturity and your age, you're like the gray hair (laughs) Uh, because of what you, because of kind of what you put under, the stress you put under. It's like going in, I mean, again, jokingly, it's like, you know, those before and afters of the Oval Office. It's like, (laughs) you know, man, you go in looking like a young 28-year-old, you come out like a beaten up mid-30s, you know? (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, and I think that that, that that certainly rings true with the uh, maturity aspect, too. I mean, spiritually and everything, you really are forced to grow. You know? Right. And, and again, that's what, it's like life, man. Whenever you're put in a position that's not comfortable, you're, you stretch. And yeah. as you stretch, you're forced to grow. Right. And Japan did that. Yeah. Right. I got you. Well, let's talk about your faith in terms of you're an all-in guy. You've, you've said it now, and uh, I know then that's the way you are with your faith, too. And you talk about with baseball and the profession, you're always looking for ways to improve and push that needle. So for faith today, kind of jumping ahead, um, is that look a lot different now? Or how do you how do you look to really improve in your faith day to day or push that needle? Yeah, no doubt. I'll be the first to tell you that I don't always, I don't always um, adhere to that. Sure. You know, I wish I lived at that address more frequently. And that's where yeah. it has been a different rhythm. Um, as a player, yeah. you have a certain routine that you've done for your whole life. And every day, like you're on a, whether it's a train or a plane or at the ballpark or whatever, there's a certain routine that you have and, and you're being pressed on every side. So you're really forced into a routine of really, having to lean into Christ. Yeah. And then you get home and you become a little bit more comfortable and you're, you're more dad now in terms of just your engagement with the children. Yeah. Um, and you don't have as much 
pressing you in a sense. Yeah. And so, like, where do you find the internal motivation to continue to cling to Christ in situations where you're not forced to, if you would? Yeah. And I think it's just a constant realization that, you know what, like, he will get our attention one way or another, mm. you know? And so, like, my heart to want to continue to pursue him hasn't changed. Yeah. My heart to continue to want to become, you know, uh, a, a vessel, a conduit for whatever he has has not changed. And I... And I welcome the opportunities that are presented to allow me to do that. Yeah. But with that being said, man, I, I will say that I, I feel like my ebbs and flows are a little bit more now. Sure. Um, and I wish I was, I wish I could say differently, you know, but that that's kind of just a reality. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. I'd, I'd much rather have the, the truth. It makes me feel a little bit better because I definitely have ebbs and flows, Matt. So, sure. and I think sure. about somebody um, like you, any professional athlete that achieved, at such a high level and had to overcome adversity as most um, professional athletes do, um, you know, just to, to realize that, man, you're strong and passionate about Christ, but also to recognize that, man, there are some ebbs and flows. There are some times when we're kind of in the zone and there's some times when we're not. It's in- interesting for me to think, you know, the things I'm picking up about you, you're analytical and it sounds like I know baseball has a certain routine, um, but it sounds like somewhat are you a guy who usually has a routine? And part of me is thinking about that YouTube video I saw of your hitting routine off the tee. And, man, I, I don't know if you created that or if you got that from somewhere else, but it was uh, like down to a science. I was like, I need to watch this again, and then I need to go back to Little League uh, 40 years ago or whatever and, <laughs> and hit some more balls because you had just a science to it. So is does that work with you, or is that true of you in faith, too, that you're a routine guy when you get in that routine or you build your own routines, or what? Yeah, no, I, I think I, I, as probably many people do, you know, I guess we're all, you know, as the body of Christ, we're all wired differently, and that's what yeah. makes us go. Um, but with that being said, you know, routine is something that's big for me. I, I, I think more so than anything, yeah. it's the sense of accomplishment. Right, like when I wake up in the morning and I feel like I, I I set goals for my day, yeah, and I need to do X, Y, and Z. I feel somehow accomplished that I've I've done something that matters, you yeah. know. And so when I when I allow myself to fall into these patterns of like, which doesn't happen all that often, and I'll even be busy sometimes to be busy, and probably I shouldn't. But yeah, I got you. The routine aspect, the routine aspect allows us to have a sense of place and normalcy. Yeah you know, and allow us to kind of like feel like we're moving something forward. And so the tea work, uh, as you mentioned, was the byproduct of a lot of great teachers that I had over the years Okay, um, that had kind of given me little bits and pieces. Yeah. And what I did was I took what I had learned from others and I made it my own. And, yeah. I, and I kind of put together my own routine, That's um, awesome. which was, again, a byproduct of many people. Right. Okay. Well, what, um, man, when you're like in that good ebb or flow when you're when it, when you're in the zone with Christ. What are some of those habits or things in your routine and faith um, that seem to help you the most? I mean, I hear you say worship uh, because I've noticed that not all you know, not to stereotype, but not all men seem to really get into worship when we talk in terms of music. But it sounds like worship is something for you. What else is kind of those things that man? Yeah, this is getting me or keeping me where I need to be. Yeah, no doubt. Um, 
I, I think we all, uh, I, I said, you know, we would understand that obviously spending time in God's word and praying is very, uh, is, is kind of where that all starts. Yeah. Um, and, and utilizing that space to be able to learn and reading the scriptures and ask for wisdom and discerning what it is he wants us to, to, to be taught. Yeah. Through whatever it is we're reading and then communicate with him, you know, through prayer. Um, and th- this is the part for me that's, that is, I guess, somewhat, you know, unique to myself or cool. how, you know, whatever is, is that, is the fact that when you talk about worship, like to me, so much of my, my, my faith is a relationship with my father. Yeah. And so that relationship to me is very real and his presence is very evident to me. Mm, yeah. And so like, I, I, there's times where like the reading scripture, when I'm reading the scripture, it helps me be even more connected, but I can lose that pattern or that routine mm. because I do become so relationally based in the presence of the Lord that that part of it, you know, I can let go. But the reality is, is that when I really feel connected with the Lord, yeah. I am wanting to be in the word more. I am wanting to spend more time in prayer. I am wanting to move it forward in that way. Yeah. But I allow my daily routine because I am so routine oriented or what I need to accomplish, what I think I need to accomplish to get in the way of that gotcha. at times. And so, yeah, dude, when I'm locked in, man, it's all about spending some time in the word yeah. and, uh, and, and praying. And even if it's, even whatever that looks like, it may be 10 minutes, maybe 20 minutes, but just, right. you know, take enough time to slow down and spend some time with him. Right. And, and worshiping in the car, man, is always a thing for me. And what are you listening to when you worship lately? Uh, the, the most recently, I love Chris Tomlin. I like to like, you know, I know we have a lot of different type of, you know, music, but I love right. Chris Tomlin. Yeah. Uh, one that I've been on lately is just At The Cross, which is an old one, but yeah, it's still good. Yeah, yeah right. And um, I, I really enjoy that one. And I've been relating that back to Japan, too, because you can talk about where, where his love, where he bled, where love ran mm. red, my sin washed white. And that's the very color of the flag in Japan. Oh. They have a white flag with the red in the middle. Wow. And it's like in the middle, Christ bled for you so that you could be washed white. And that's just, anytime that worship is centered around the cross, like it gets me. Yeah. Because it's the reality of who I am and yet, and who I am in him because of what he did for me. So yeah. the cross really gets me every time. Oh, man, that's good. All right, well, uh, talk to me just, and I'll, I'll just take a few more minutes of your time. I don't want to keep you all day. I kind of do, but I don't. Um, don't want to mess up your routine too much. But talk to me about you know that opportunity with the Japanese people and speaking at the Franklin Graham uh, crusade or rally and what that looks like today as well. So I'm asking a bunch of questions in one, but what was that like first just to speak at that rally for Franklin Graham in Japan? It's kind of surreal. Um, I I almost felt like ill-equipped, like, hey, I'm not ready for this. Yeah. Um, That was straight up how I felt. I mean, it was in Osaka Joe Hall, and there was 10,000 people. Wow. Um, And it's Franklin Graham. Like, it's the Billy Graham, it's it's the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, like, Right. These are the things we watched on TV, and now I'm being asked to get up on the stage before Franklin speaks and gives my testimony, <laughs> which is cool. Like, yeah. speaking about the Lord, and it's great. But, like, <laughs> you know, I'm 28 years old or 29, whatever it was I am, and, uh, you know, I'm in front of 10,000 people, and it's at a Franklin Graham deal. That was that was surreal. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, just, just the way all of it worked out, the timing of it, I mean, I don't think there's coincidence in God's economy. Right. And, for me to come over in 2010, the very year that Franklin Graham was going to be coming on a, on a rally or a crusade, 
Yeah. And it just so happened to be in the city that I was playing in. Wow. And then I get out to a great start, and I break a record, and I have notoriety <laughs> across the country, right? and so forth and so on. And then the, the dots are connected to a, uh, a gentleman named Greg Thompson, who worked for Chick-fil-A and was responsible for um, the uh, prayer breakfast for the bowl games, and he had some connections with BGA, and they were able to connect through him and get me. And then the way wow. our our games went, we weren't sure. I did like a... a, like a, a pre-type thing in September for them, but we made the playoffs, and depending on how deep in the playoffs we went, I was going to be able to speak or not. So, I mean, we're talking about days before the deal, the festival, and we're not even sure if I'm going to be able to speak or not. Wow. And so the way it all went down and then just to be able to be up there and share my faith was amazing. I remember being in the car with Franklin and uh, asking him, I said, man, you know, I, I, I saw people come forward to give their life to Christ in like tiger's gear, like mm. wearing my jersey or wearing the hat or wherever it was, and they're coming down front. They're being moved wow. to come down, and, and what ends up happening, I don't know. But like, I was overwhelmed. Yeah. Like, I I I honestly like started to get emotional and teary eyed. Yeah. And what I noticed was though that after we did like I think it was like three of these, you know, in, in subsequent days. And as the days went by, I started to lose a touch of that. And I asked him, I said, when you do this so often, like it's, it's, kind of, it's your job, it's your vocation in a sense. Like, is it, can it become a thing where you start to, you know? Yeah. And so we had that kind of conversation too. So, man, I was so moved by it. I felt different emotions throughout it, but it was just a really cool experience. Man, that is cool. You do analyze things, huh? You're like, I mean, you're aware that, huh? I don't know. That, uh, sorry, man. It's probably boring to hear all that. It is not boring. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I was not saying that at all. I think it's fascinating yeah. that a part of the way God yeah. has made you is that you're looking at this. And after a third night, you're like, hey, you know, is it get a little different? Because that first night I was powerfully moved, and now it feels a little bit different. Uh, can Are you allowed to tell us what he said? I don't think I'll get to interview oh. him. <laughs> yeah, no. What I recall, again, and this is just the basic, like, premise around it, right? Yeah. Is that um, what, I, what I took from that was that certainly that can become a part of it because it becomes routine, yeah. you know? You get up there, you have some, a, a responsibility, you do what you're supposed to do, you share, and people come forward, and that's what's, quote-unquote, supposed to happen. Right. But what he really made, what he really made me uh, aware of the, what, was that, again, it, it's the same premise that apart from Christ, that we can do nothing, and it's only by the power of the Spirit. And so I always have to continue to remind myself that this is not about me, that this yeah. is not about what I was able to say. This is merely about mm. God's ability to connect human spirit, because we're all the same in that. We all have this need yeah. to be accepted and to be loved and all of the things we know to be true. And that spirit is what moves this forward. So right. I think it was him just, it, it's, it's a constant battle between our flesh and our spirit right? and our routine and yet knowing that like it's bigger than us. Right. And so that's the general premise of the response that I got. I got you. That's good. All right, let me ask you this. Do you get to do some ministry? One of the reasons I ask is because I think on your Facebook I saw a video and you were talking in Japanese. Um, So what is your relationship or mission to Japanese people now or your fans? What does that look like? Yeah, man, no, uh, I think it's like anything in life. Like you look back and it's it's stones of remembrance. Yeah. I do think that like things that happen in our lives – um, help position us for new opportunities. Yeah, and I don't think it's a coincidence that we spent the six years there. 
Um, I mean, I think God has a sense of humor. I don't yeah. know. You know, 2008 was the year that I had finished the year on the playoff roster in 07, had come out and hit 300 in spring training mm. uh, again in 2008, and I ended up in Iowa. Yeah. And uh, there's a big story behind that, but we'll just cut to the chase. The guy that kind of re- replaced me, in essence, was Kosuke Fukudome. So there's this Japanese guy that had been signed by the Chicago Cubs in 2008 that, in essence, displaced the American Whoa. to end up in Japan. Whoa. And not only that, but Kosuke Fukudome became my teammate what? in Japan. Circle all the way back no. to the Hanshin Tigers. Hanshin Tigers became my teammate. So... You know, there are so wow. many layers to this. I mean, the first home that we bought had Japanese, uh, we didn't even know. I mean, this yeah, is like 06. Yeah. We bought this home that had Japanese soaking tub in it and a Japanese bath out front because the lady we purchased it from was originally from Japan. Wow. And like little things like that, yeah. it's like God knew. And so, like, looking like, looking back on all the things that happened that were hard in 08, I, I, can, I literally remember crying in my car thinking, like, dude, I'm done with this. And what else do I have to do to show that I'm capable, and yet here I am? Yeah. And it really jacked with me mentally. Yeah. And yet I look back on that, Lord, just said, keep going, just keep going. And then to see what happened at the end of 10, Franklin Graham sharing in front of 10,000 people, he's like, dude, I knew. Yeah. I have a plan for you. Yeah. I knew this. And so all of those things, right, you yeah. think back on it, God yeah. has a plan. Yeah. He knew all that was going to happen. We still have a responsibility to engage the culture. Right. And so we do that. And uh, I've been back on two separate trips since I got completed uh, my playing career, working with, like, food networks for young children that are in need. Wow. Working with the homeless and doing, like, uh, wow. we do some, like, clinics and stuff for kids with baseball. And that God is really allowing that to move forward, which has been cool. Just recently, we're doing uh, what we call a, uh, a Bachelu Engine, which is basically a huddle like SCA does yeah. here. I don't know if you've seen those where um, they're, they're doing huddles where they have like guys to come in during this COVID-19 deal and just kind of share about what they're going on in their lives. We've been able to get that started, which cool. we haven't, we haven't uh, published it yet, but that should be in the coming week um, with some athletes that are playing currently over there. Great. So there's just cool little different projects that we've been able to do that have kept us connected. And even here in Nashville, I've been super blessed to be with a guy named Steve Young and Neil Hicks, who have an international community uh, church. Uh, they were both missionary kids in Japan, uh, and they have a Japanese church here that I connect with, and, and we also have a consulate here. Uh, so I got to know the consulate general of Japan here in, that, in Nashville, to Tennessee, this middle Tennessee, uh, throughout wow. this region. And so we, I go out and do softball events with them and do different things. So it's been cool, like, how God has allowed that to continue uh, moving forward. Yeah. Uh, I was in Dallas in February. Um, as a part of the Japan American Society, sharing with a board of people that I didn't belong on, but uh, <laughs> I was there, and so it's been really cool to see how God has utilized that time period in our lives to to keep impacting people. Man, that is really cool, Matt. And I, I do think it's cool the way God has a sense of humor and the way He had these little clues and just little things. And you look back, and it kind of all makes sense. I mean, it wasn't an accident; it was totally God's uh, God's move and God's plan. No doubt. Yeah, that is really cool. Well, let me ask you real quick: uh, What are you doing with the Cubs in the front office now? You you're, you've been working with them for a couple of years now. So, what are you doing? What can you tell us? Yeah, no. Uh, basically, what in essence, what I do is I scout. Um, yeah. 
I I was very fortunate, very blessed to, again, relationally, one thing I guess I would say is that all the teams that I played for in the U.S. prior to going to Japan yeah. gave me a chance to develop a lot of different relationships, which was cool. Uh, um, and and when I got finished in 2017, um, that's a whole other story. I thought I could still play. I prayed about it. There's a day in church. I was like, Lord, if you want me to let this go, I will. Uh, I was considering going to the Dominican to play. Um in the winter and yeah. uh, kind of talked to my agent about what that would look like to reestablish some value. And I, and he had said, look, why are you doing it? And we went through this whole rigmarole and basically I prayed. I said, Lord, yeah. you know what? I'm going to, I went through the process. I talked to my co- coach hall at Georgia tech yeah, and I had done all that stuff. And I was like, you know, I don't want to just like wake up one day and not having, you know, tried to continue to engage. What do I do? What do I, you know, I never thought I'd be a pro ball. But one thing led to another, and I had reached out to a few of the relationships, and uh, Theo Epstein was one of those. Mm. I was actually drafted by him in 2003 Yeah, um, with the Boston Red Sox as a part of his first draft class. Wow. And so he was one of the guys that I had sent uh, an email to, and I was very fortunate to get responses from a number of people that I had reached out to. And in essence, they gave me a chance to be in Nashville and kind of like transition out of playing. And I've kind of been in that role now. Like you said, this is going into the third season, which has been put on pause. But um, I'm super blessed, man, to to be a part of that great organization, to be learning and around guys that are super bright and have a lot of knowledge. And I've grown a ton in how I view the game um, since then. But, yeah, I I spend time with the R&D department in Chicago at times. Okay. Um, But most of what I do is is helping them uh, prepare for the draft on the amateur side. Yeah. Went out watching college and high school kids, and then on the pro side, helping them uh, prepare for minor league free agent signings or possible trades that they have come July, those type of things. And that's kind of what I've been doing Man, that's the last cool. few years, which has been cool because I love the game. I really love the game. And, yeah, yeah. as you can tell, I, I love the analyzing. So the combination between analyzing and the game, it, it fits. It's pretty perfect. Yeah, that's great. When yeah. you think – this is my last question, then I'm going to let you go. When you think about in terms of kind of your spiritual gifts – uh, what kind of comes to your mind? That's always, it's always hard, I, I think, for me to turn it, you know, there. But I think the reality is, is that uh, I do love to teach. Yeah. Um, okay. I love I love process. I love oh. development. And I love walking alongside of people. Yeah. Um, and trying to encourage. And and so that's the part that's tough because even though I love to analyze, I I often question: Do I need to be teaching more? in terms of the game and engaging people in terms of legacy. So I would say that was kind of my thing, man. Yeah. Um, spiritually speaking, um, I, I, I really believe in relationship and how God connects with us. I mean, it's just amazing to think of the fact that the creator of the universe yeah. cares enough to spend time with us. And then what does that look like as I take that and turn that on its head? What is that? What is my call? And what is my call to touch the lives of the people around me? And so that's something that's very, very evident, uh, very strong in terms of how I feel or how I believe. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Dang. Okay. Well, Matt Merton, uh, man, I really appreciate you just sharing some of these stories and sharing your heart, uh, heart for God and, uh, man, your many gifts and talents, uh, really just a blessing and encouragement to us today. 
No, thanks for having me, man. You get me going. I'm like, you get me going. The problem is, I'm like a Baptist, like a Baptist preacher, or whatever. I can't, I can't hit my my, my number. I'm gonna go overtime. So anyway, thanks, no. thanks for giving me, thanks for giving me space to ramble on and on. <laughs> you were not rambling, man. It was good preaching and good inspiring. So no, that was Talk perfect. Really appreciate it. That's Matt Merton. So, uh, man, I'm excited to see what God does next with you. And uh, God bless you and that family of yours. Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right. Hold on real quick, Matt. I'm just going to sign off here on uh, Facebook, and then I just want to talk to you real quick off air. Um, Guys, man, uh, really appreciate Matt's heart for uh, for the Lord and uh, for people. And I pray that if you today are just kind of feeling a little bit distant from God, that, man, he is right there. And maybe you're not going to see the way God has weaved different clues together or placed them in your life, but they're there. And he wants to show those clues to you because he loves you and he does want that relationship with you. And if you've just strayed a little bit, kind of got off the path, he's just saying, just come right back. Let's go. Let's learn from it. Let's move on. Man, come after my heart. I've got something new for you. And that's what he does. That's He's the creator and he's still creating. So he loves you. You guys, and I want you to know what Paul wrote about in Second Corinthians three twelve is true today. To remember the hope that we have, that hope is real. It's living. It's glorious. And Paul said, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Very bold radio and podcast with your host Steve Teal, bringing encouragement through God's Word and through inspiring interviews. Go to VeryBold.com for information and updates and email Steve at VeryBold.com. 